everyone, and welcome to the first reading of this spring's new writing series. Um, thank you so much for coming out this afternoon. Um, before I introduce our reader, I'm first going to tell you about a couple of other literary events. Um, a week from today, David Schneiderman is going to be reading as part of the new writing series. Um, and tonight, I have a feeling you're going to be so amped up uh, from Olga's reading, you're going to be hungry for more. And in that case, uh, please come to Blabbermouth. Blabbermouth is going to be hosting an open mic at Porter's Pub. Uh, it's starting at 6 o'clock. Uh, for added incentive, there's a happy hour from uh, until 7. Um, and it's going to be a showcase of recent writers who have graduated from our program. Some of our own MFA graduate students are going to be reading as well. Um, and a mixture of poetry, prose, spoken word. So Porter's Pub, uh, you can go right from the BizArt Center Go get a nice Guinness ale and read and listen. Um, so now it is my great pleasure to introduce Olga Garcia Echeverria. Born and raised in East Los Angeles, Olga has shared her cucaracha-obsessed Spanglish poesia with audiences throughout the Southwest in Nueva York, Minneapolis, North Carolina, Mexico City, Cuba, and France. Many moons ago, her spoken, broken creations were recorded on Raza Spoken Here, Volume 1, When Skin Peels, and This Machine Accepts, two-track. In 2004, she co-edited Under What Bandera, Anti-War Ofrendas from Minnesota y Califas, and Olga's, I know, you're being very generous with my terrible Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> so giggle away as I make all sorts of mispronunciations. Um, so forgive me for not being able to do greater justice. Ah. In 2008, she edited this poem called My Body, a short collection of poetry by young Latina writers from Southern California. Olga's poetry has appeared in several anthologies, among them Lavenderia, a mixed load of women, wash, and words, and Telling Tongues, a Latina anthology on language. Her first book, Falling Angels, Cuentos y Poemas, was a small press distributor bestseller in 2009. Yeah, yeah and with small press distribution, they sell so many books that to become a bestseller on their list is quite an achievement. Her latest creative endeavor, Lovely Little Creatures, is a self-published chapbook made of recycled cardboard. She currently lives and teaches in Los Angeles, and this spring we have the great fortune of having her on the writing faculty here at UCSD, where she is teaching a poetry workshop. Welcome, Olga. Thank you so much. everybody for being here. Buenas noches, buenas tardes. And we were not laughing at you, Sara. <laughs> so many of those projects uh, that you were mentioning, um, the, uh, the editing of the anti-war collection and uh, this body, this poem called My Body, um, the publisher is here, uh, Chelo Manriquez, so from Palaca Press. So everything you were saying, I kept saying, and you, and you. <laughs> so that's why we were laughing. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm very happy to be here, and thank you for the invitation uh, to be a part of the new writing series. And I'm very, very excited to be able to teach a poetry writing class here at UCSD. Um, because creative writing classes are, you know, scarce, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a great privilege to be able to do it. And um, I'm going to uh, start with a poem entitled Kamikaze Shoes. Oh, it was beautiful, the shoe, how it flew out from the audience towards the podium, raging forth like a missile on a mission. Bush's face. <laughs> this is your farewell kiss 
you dog. What would it have been like to see the hill smash against the nose, the upper lip bust open, the soul smack hard the jaw? Lucky bastard. He ducked just in the nick of time. Damn, it was such a good throw though, you know? And the second shoe, although it missed its target too, jet vigorously across the room, above journalists' heads it soared, a fierce black bird of vengeance cursing, you are responsible for the deaths of thousands of Iraqis. Justice, justice is a smelly shoe. All day I've been shuffling around in my warm pantuflas, wondering if they've given Mutadar al-Sidi back his shoes. I hear he has a broken arm, a busted rib, cuts and bruises on his face. How long can they keep him in prison for his zapato insurrection? <laughs> I mean, there's something putrid with justice in the world when a man who hurls shoes gets sacked, wrestled, dragged away. He must ask the prime minister for a pardon, apologize profusely for up to 15 prison years he may just get. Yet, bomb droppers, war makers, lawless corporate polluters, political swindlers of our time, freely wander the world with full immunity. Immunity. Mutiny. one of my giant cardboard books made out of recycled cardboard. I'm having a lot of fun with them. And this is what we're going to do in my creative writing class. The students are going to make these as well. We're going to have fun. Um, going to, uh, my mother is here with me today. Mi mamá está aquí conmigo hoy. Librada Garcia Echeverria. She's the Echeverria and me. And uh, I'm going to read something uh, in Spanish for her and for anybody in the audience, everybody in the audience who's bilingual or Spanish-speaking. And this is entitled, uh, Ana Leticia Armendaris, Matando Cucarachas. Soy mujer de guerra. Eso me lo dijo mi abuela a los seis años, y desde entonces ando matando cucarachas. Cuando uno se dedica a combatir la invasión cucarachahuense, entiende que es un compromiso serio de toda la vida. Aquí no hay de vacaciones pagadas, ni de que los fines de semana no trabajo. Aquí no hay nada de eso. Ser soldadera es entregarse entera, sacrificarlo todo, perder para siempre el egoísmo. Aquí se piensa solamente en la causa, en este movimiento de mujeres hartas que han decidido terminar con el mugrero de bichos que nos quieren dominar. Nosotras, las matadoras, entendemos que no importa la forma de matar, lo que importa es la matanza, el grito, la sangre, la victoria. Yo uso de todo, zapatos rotos, periódicos, escobas, agua caliente. Cuando no hay más remedio, hasta abro y cierro la propia mano, mano en defensa de mi casa, que es como mi patria. El pie descalzo también es buena arma, pero uno tiene que saber pisar con fuerza y precisión. Aquí no hay de que me da miedo o de que me da asco. En la guerra, matar es toda una profesión, es toda una estética. Mi último amante fue un gringo zurdo budista que hablaba y escribía el español mejor que yo. Siempre me andaba corrigiendo. Era aficionado de todo lo vivo y no se animaba a matar ni la cucaracha más fea ni la pulga más pequeña. Decía él que todo tenía su consecuencia y que al morir regresaríamos reencarnados en los cuerpos de los que más les faltamos al respeto en esta vida. El carnicero regresaría como puerco o vaca. El puerco como mosca. La mosca como mierda. 
la mierda como zacate, el zacate como rey y el rey como esclava. Cuando se ponía a hablar así, yo solamente lo veía con los ojos bien pelados y las pestañas, las pestañas sin parpadear. ¿Quieres decir que estas mismas cucarachas embarradas en mis zapatos fueron gentes que mataron a otras cucarachas en otra vida? Él contestaba, así es, Leticia. Pues con más razón las mato. Después cogía la escoba y prendía la música para empezar mi baile de matanza. Porque a mí me gusta bailar y matar al mismo tiempo. Así no me amargo. ¡Que mueran las cucarachas asesinas! ¡Que mueran! ¡Que caiga el poder cucarachahuense! ¡Que caiga! ¡Que no esté chingando el gringo budista! ¡Que no chingue! Y pues así me la pasaba, bailando estilo salsa al cheche colé de Willy Colón y echando gritos de guerra por todos lados. Yo soy muy escandalosa de las que hace tormenta en un vaso de agua. Así que me gusta gritar, me gusta tirar trastes, quebrar vidrio, dar cachetadas. Desafortunadamente, mi amante era todo lo opuesto. Poco a poco se fue alejando. Un día sacó su maleta y empezó a empacar su ropa. ¿Sabes lo que eres, Leticia? ¿Qué? Le contesté mientras tocaba la bamba y zapateaba unas cuantas cucas en la cocina con mis tacones amarillos. Eres bad karma. No le entendí ni papa, pero le grité, y tú, un bueno para nada, good for nothing, ni para matar cucarachas sirves. Lo mandé a él, junto con su Buda, al demonio. Ya van dos años desde que se fue mi rubio, mi rubio bilingüe, y aunque a veces pienso que lo extraño, sigo matando a estas cucarachas que no tienen fin, para que vean que una guerrera verdadera nunca deja su causa, ni por el amor. Ahorita estoy acostada en la oscuridad, boca arriba en mi cama, desde aquí viendo una caminando por el techo. Pendeja, cree que estoy ciega, que no la veo. Es la misma que vi ayer detrás del ropero. No más que ayer no la pude alcanzar. No tienen fin. Son todo un ejército de cucarachas. Millones y millones de cucarachas con el mismo uniforme y la misma meta. Yo creo que ni Hitler tenía un ejército tan maldito. Estas canijas me quieren ver muerta. Quieren chingarme la vida porque soy pobre. Todo esto es un plan del gobierno. Seguro que el FBI y los meros meros ya hicieron sus planes de terminar con nosotros, los de abajo. Pero a mí no me hacen estúpida. Esta cucaracha que estoy viendo tiene cara de espía, de oreja. Es de las grandototas, las que parecen dátiles enteros. Las que tienen alas y vuelan. Se están viendo porque ya las han visto, ¿verdad? Si no fuera la soldadera, la soldadera alerta que soy, ya la hubiera confundido por una sombra o una mancha negra. Mírala, me está viendo también. Seguramente toma fotografías con los ojos pelados y las imágenes llegan hasta Washington. Se me va a echar encima, porque así son, así las entrenan. Se hacen las muy asustaditas, pero si uno se deja, hasta por las orejas y la boca entran. Que me caiga. Va a ver cómo le va. Esta sí que no se me escapa. Si me muero haciéndolo, le voy a mostrar cómo se mata en guerra. Y a huevo se va a dar cuenta de quién es Ana Leticia Armendariz. This next piece is entitled Mama Azúcar. It wasn't really her name, but everyone in the building called her Mama Azúcar. Duro, the donut man, said it was because when she put out, she was all brown sugar spilling over like hot piloncillo syrup. Too much of that will make you sick, he'd say. And the men, the men would open their bocas in laughter, agreeing. Her real name was Panchita, 
given in the spirit of revolution after Pancho Villa, or at least that's how she told it. Yo soy toda revolución. See these big chichis here? Son como las tierras de México. Everyone has either had or wanted them. Son de todos y de nadie. She didn't mind, though, being called Mama Azúcar. As long as they don't start calling me Panocha, she'd say. <laughs> Throwing back her head full of black hair, laughing a carcajadas, Sara and me would laugh with her. Thick lips red as mommy's chile colorado, eyes masked in dark hues. We wanted to be just like her, toda mujer, the kind of woman who owned the space she walked on. A full moon, dark as tamarind seeds woman, redonda and soft at even the elbows and edges. Simone would catch us admiring her from behind stairwells and worn. Solamente hay dos tipos de mujeres, the kind you marry and the kind you find in the streets floating around like filth. Miren a esa desgraciada del apartamento 13. She's one big revolving door. Todo mundo entra y sale. Entra y sale. Si no se cuidan, muchachas, you'll end up panzonas. Si no se cuidan, you'll end up like her. It didn't matter what Simone or anybody else said. Mama Sucar was the only woman in the building who didn't have a man yelling at her, who woke up singing the loud sounds of Celia Cruz, Tito Puente, Mongo, Santa Maria, blaring out her windows. She was the only woman who didn't have baby on hips, who came and went as she pleased, who flipped men in and out of her life like flipping tortillas on a hot comal. She was all sugar, all right, but not the piloncillo type like Turo said. She was more like the center of a ripe guava, the tiny seeds dancing on our young, hungry tongues. And um, like many, many other people in this country and in other places around the world, wherever borders meet, crash, collide, um, I grew up between two languages and two cultures, and those constantly uh, interweaved and uh, danced with each other. Um, so it's part of my experience, and so... My Spanish and my English are braided uh, throughout my work, much of my work. And I really want to thank um, Chelo Manriquez, um, who, uh, you know, through Calaca Press, uh, supported my work because as a writer, uh, it's very hard to get your work published sometimes when you are between languages or you're mixing your languages uh, because it's not considered marketable. You know, your, it, your audience is limited. And so everything want, they want to translate everything, or it's ideally what they want is to have one poem in English and maybe the translation in Spanish. Uh, but that wasn't really my reality. They were really connected. And um, anyhow, uh, through Calaca Press, uh, I was able to actually be true to my work and present it the way I really wanted to present it, so I didn't have to translate anything. And that's why I went with the small independent press, and I'm very, very happy and proud of that. And I just want to thank Miss Chelo Manriquez, who is right here. Yay! <laughs> and this poem is about that experience. It's entitled, uh, Lengualistic Algo, Spoken Broken Word. ¿Qué quieren conmigo los puristas, all tongue-tied and sitting proper behind fat, stoic dictionaries? I've already eaten the thin white skeletons of foreign words, choked on the bones of Inglés only. Learn the art of speaking in codes and code-switching. Learn to spit palabras out of boca abierta like bullets, like fire, like fuego, like poems, have already been witness to silence, to white-haired first-grade teacher bringing finger to lips and saying, shh, speak English. You're in America now. Speak English. Mi bisabuela fue yaqui, mi abuela mexicana, mi madre mestiza, y yo, 
your worst linguistic nightmare, hecho realidad. Aquí se le echa de todo. Islos, attitude, chile chipotle, chicana power fist held in air. Aquí el inglés se quita sus moños, wears pantalones wangos, and dances slow motion to oldies. Aquí el inglés trips over itself y el español comes down off its high horse, cruises down Whittier Boulevard in a beat-up station wagon, in a minivan, in a cherry red Impala lowrider. Watchala, it rides the bus. Eats chile spice mangos and elotes smothered in mayonesa. It learns to say pa instead of para, ga instead of acá, ya instead of allá. Travel pa kai pa ya pa ya pa ka pa calo. Orale. Somos las chicas patas lenguas que no se rajan. Cruzando linguistic fronteras sin papeles, illegal tongues jumping over barbed wire fences, running como las cucarachas. Correle, cuquita, correle. Aquí el lenguaje existe en el momento que Conejo hits up Pablo for a ride. Come on, vato, give me an aventón to la marqueta. Y Pablo lo manda a la fregada with the wave of a hand y con, chale, dude, ¿qué me ves? Cara de taxi cab. Aquí se usa lo que sirve, el rascuache, el mestizaje, las leftovers y lo yet to be born. Aquí cada palabra está viva, respira, and all the spoken broken words, the wachalas, los eses and esas of the world, stand up in defiance and shout, Hey, ain't I a word? Caigo from the hungry mouths of thousands. Salgo como bala en los barrios de Califas, broto como lluvia en el desierto de Arizona, canto mi Tex-Mex junto a Flaco Jiménez, and tell me, ain't I a word? Los académicos me ignoran, los puristas dicen que contamino, Webster y el pequeño LaRousse no me conocen, y Random House me escupe, no manchen. Aquí mi lenguaje no se detiene. Cada nueva palabra remembers, relives, speaks the many conquests of our bleeding tongues. Our language, como cuerpo de serpiente, moves, shapeshifts, sheds, en un instante muere y aún vuelve a nacer. entitled uh, Flores for Briseña. The morning radio speaks of wars over there far away. And here, the roosters started crowing at the break of dawn. I'm in the kitchen imagining the falling of a bomb, ceiling blasted into smithereens, sparrows murdered in their trees. It's the radio making me imagine the silencing of songs, the crumbling of walls. There are the walls of people's homes being knocked down and the walls of nation empires being built everywhere. Apartheid walls, border walls, weeping walls, which remind me of how we like to make monuments of things we kill, soldiers, trees, Children running down the streets with angry stones, fighting tanks. Who's there behind the gunner, behind the missile, behind the barrel, behind the bullet? This morning, I can't stop thinking of Briseña Flores, that little girl murdered in Arizona. Minutemen vigilantes broke into her family's home. A woman and two men plagued by hate, stealing, shooting, killing because they could. In America, and in many places around the world, people love their guns. To love a gun to death. The weight, the still, the metal extracted from the earth, the lever of power, the trigger, the trigger happy. He shot her in the face, the little girl who pleaded, please don't. A nightmare made real in the middle of the night. How can I eat breakfast or go about my day? 
I've been carrying her name around for months. This morning, I'm laying it down on a bed of flowers, on open-eyed irises. White lilies, flaming marigolds, for what he's saying. A field of giant sunflowers exploding with color. A trail of red roses. Nautibos, peonies, purple lavenders swaying in the wind. Frag fragrant fresia briseña. I'm laying her name down on this page. Right next to 14-year-old Emmett Till. Remember Till? and his mother's persistent will to keep open the casket of her murdered son for the world to see what arrogance and hate destroyed. A mockingbird killed in flight for no other reason than having wings for being black to strangle life of its vibrant breath. Gone are the mind, the heart, the voice of another's light. It's the worst of crimes. Briseña, I'm laying down her name right here, next to blooming poppies, magnolia, and weeping willow trees, right by the four little black girls blown away in a Birmingham church. Remember them? Aidy Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, Denise McClare. Their lives extinguished by dynamite seated in a basement by a clan of white men cloaked in white sheets. Which brings me back to her again, Briseña, the Mexican nine-year-old in Arizona I never knew, but whose face and smile are here with me, with us. And did I already say they killed her father and shot her mother too? Just for being there in their home in their skin. Arizona, goddamn. The other day, I drove south on the 5 freeway, past Oceanside, past the Migra checkpoint, past the yellow sign of a family running hand in hand in desperate flight. I've never seen that, by the way, nor heard of anyone ever seeing families run frantic across the asphalt at the 5. Have you? But the yellow sign, it's always there. A reminder, no wetbacks, no aliens, no crossing into here. This land, this stolen land, this land, this land of guarded borders. Then I see it on the edge of the road, the adopt a highway minute men sign. It's a burning cross shining bright on our front lawn. I think of Langston Hughes, who in the face of bigotry spewed poetry. Justice is a blind goddess. He shot her in the face, and the world has yet to weep. There's so much going on, you see. Birds falling from the sky, fish washing up dead along the shores, black gold spills, pink slip layoffs, budget cuts, gas prices rising, Food prices rising, cost of living rising, everything rising. And speaking of uprisings, did you hear about how the Tunisian and Egyptian people rose up from beneath the yoke? And how Wisconsinites aren't about to sit back and eat the shit they're being fed? Or how so many people are now undocumented and unafraid? And it's me, and it's you. And it's them over there, all tied into one giant web. I'm feeling the rippling effect, the pooling of the moon, the stomping of the ground, the melting of the ice, the rising ocean tides, the axis shift, the plates moving beneath my feet, tsunami warning, radiation traveling in the wind. There's no escape, the heat of spilled blood, the pulsating heart, the drum growing louder with each passing day. It's war, war everywhere, war for seeds, for, 
for oil, for water, for land, for moon, for earth, for justice, and her name, her name keeps coming down like endless rain. Briseña Flores, Briseña Flores, Flores for Briseña. this poem but I want to dedicate it to all the women uh, in the house yeah if I can find it <laughs> vuelo you of the hot pink flapping rebozo suelta tu voz por dentro suelta Suelta complejos que caigan lejos, tan lejos de aquí. Mujer, ábrete como tierra en temblor, temblando sin temor. Ábrete, que el fuego por dentro, tan lumbre, tan tú, resalte, explote. Mujer sembradora, suelta semilla, suelta lo que llevas sembrado bajo tu lengua, entre tu pecho, en tu puño, abriéndose como flor, floreciendo. Mujer, suelta las flores moradas, mariposas nocturnas, palomas blancas, tan blancas que llevas. Mujer, suelta la máscara, échala al río, aviéntala, quiebrala contra rocas, paredes y suelos. Mujer, suelta cadenas, esposa, suelta cadera, libra muñeca, suelta tus colores que manchan montañas, horizontes que manchan pájaro paraíso, Pájaro, mujer, vuela, vuela, papalote suelto, vuela, mujer, vuela. So, um, I think we have a, a question and answer session now, right? And so if anybody would like to ask any questions. Um, I also want to uh, thank Maritza Alvarez, my girlfriend. Uh, who's here in the front, because um, it's, it's hard to get out of L.A. sometimes, you know, <laughs> and I have, I teach like at three or four different sites, and I'm always running around, but anyways, she, I got here today because of her, because she drove me here, <laughs> so I just want to say thank you, <laughs> she's the best girl, <laughs> okay, so I don't know if anybody has any questions, um, or any comments or anything? I got a bunch of mocos, not just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, cello. <laughs> so what's your next uh, project in Giovanni? Because I, I read the Visenya poem with the bloga, so are you, is, is something uh, coming up pretty soon? Um, yes, I don't know what, but yes. <laughs> So I'm always um, um, struggling to create time to create and to write because I wish that I had uh, a room of my own to do it, you know, or I could do it full time. Uh, but like most writers, uh, we, you know, we don't live off of our writing and so we usually have regular jobs. Um, but yes, I'm always trying to carve out the space and time to create and to keep writing and to you know, do new projects. So I have new pieces that I've been, you know, writing, uh, post. Uh, this was the last uh, project that I did, which was a small collection of about 10 creative writing pieces, and I put them together in a chapbook. And a friend and I, we were inspired by Los Cartoneros of Latin America, uh, from Cuba and from Argentina. Uh, this is something that they do over there. Um, and so we were inspired by that, and we got a bunch of recycled uh, cardboard, and we put it together. So I'm not sure what the next, how it works, what it's going to become, but I'm working in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about conversion. Do you have a few poems that you've translated yourself, or maybe other people 
from anything that I read today, you mean? Yeah. Uh, everything that I read today, uh, I wrote myself. Uh, so usually I, I won't write something in English and then write it in Spanish, but like the piece I wrote in Spanish, completely in Spanish. So I usually, um, I grew up between, you know, the two languages, like I said, and I think Antonio Bustiaga was the one who said that he, he his first language was Spanish and English and a fist lock. And uh, I think that was my reality too when I, you know, grew up and stuff. Although my English was always stronger because all my study in, was in the U.S. and it was in English, um, so I'm a lot more confident in my English than I am in my Spanish. But the Spanish is always there. I have the majority of my pieces are is that interweaving. Uh, a lot of my pieces are in English. Uh, I have some pieces that are entirely written in Spanish um, as well. Uh, but mostly it's either mixed or English, yeah. But I don't have anybody who translates my work. If somebody would like to translate like one of your poems, like, what would you say? Oh, uh, yeah, I would be open and, you know, yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> you want to translate? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk after. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Tomas. You're my Facebook friend, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I recognized you. Have <laughs> you posted your Visenia poems? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh -huh. um, I wanted you to talk a little bit more about um, your. Um, I guess your struggle with the, you know, with both languages and having to face the pure lists. Mm -hmm. um, is there was there a moment, um, you know, early on when you started becoming more conscious of language? Is there mm -hmm. a moment that you remember where, you know, either an English or a Spanish purist really mm -hmm. tried to get you settled to one language, mm -hmm. and was was that an inspiration for that kind of poem? Um. That poem was written in El Paso. Uh, actually, my manuscript, uh, I went to the University of El Paso and I did a bilingual creative writing program there at the university. And while I was there, uh, this was actually my senior thesis, in which eventually ended up being my book. Uh, so I wrote that poem there. Um, and I did encounter, even within the bilingual creative writing program, uh, resistance to that because when I got there I realized that you know it wasn't really bilingual in my you know fantasy of bilingual <laughs> it was really the English department over here and the Spanish department over here and I could take classes from both departments and get credit towards my masters and um, there was a lot of resistance in the Spanish department you know because my Spanish is not an academic Spanish it's a very working class my parents are very you know working class and so it's a very different type of Spanish that I encountered um, but I do have a memory of, of feeling very empowered in language and that was when I was an undergraduate student uh, I went into college and I thought I was going to be a mathematician um, and then I fell in love with literature. And I took uh, my first African-American literature class and I read Zora Neale Hurston's The Rise, uh, We're Watching God. And I loved it. I was just like, oh my gosh, you're totally destroying the English language. <laughs> and reading her and other African-American poets, um, for me, empowered me in the sense that, you know, they were using, uh, they were trying to use authentic language to represent real people. And I thought like, well, if they can do that in, in, in the work that they're creating, you know, it made me, it validated my Spanglish, it validated my language and how I had grown up. And so from that point forward, you know, after taking that class, I really felt that I had a right to, you know, write in my language. And so when I went to El Paso, even though I faced those challenges there, um, I was very sure of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And so it's just a matter of finding a way to do it. So I really attributed it, that, uh, you know, self-empowerment to reading uh, Zora Neale Hurston's work for the first time. Mm -hmm.
Um, I think some of the first writers when I was um, uh, definitely a lot of uh, like uh, Gloria Saldua, Cherry Moraga, they were some of the first uh, Chicana authors that I came to know. Uh, I was in college like in the late 80s and so those were texts that, you know, and for me it was like, oh my god, Chicana's right, you know. <laughs> And uh, Naomi Quinones. Um, I met a wonderful teacher. In I transferred from I first went to Occidental College and then I transferred to UC Santa Cruz and I met a poet, Elva Sanchez. There she um, became a great mentor to me, and she was the first person to sort of grab me by the shoulders and tell me, "Olga, you're a writer." And I was like, "No, no." She slapped me around. She's like, "You're in denial. You are." <laughs> And I was like, okay. <laughs> and she invited me to my first public reading. And I was just so scared. And she also, they had at UC Santa Cruz a revista called Revista Mujeres, uh, where they published, you know, authors, professors, but also students who were trying to just, you know, experiment with language, get their work out there. So she also published one of my first poems. And um, that experience also, you know, she was a great, great influence on me uh, to be able to call myself a poet and then pursue, want to go on to graduate school to do a master's in that as well. Uh, writers, endless writers, you know, it's just, uh, there's so many, yeah. It depends, you know, I, I keep going back to certain authors. Um, Frank Kafka, I love, you know. The Metamorphosis, I keep rereading it in Spanish and in English, and then I can't find the book right now, so I'm really upset about that. It's like, where is it? Because I moved like twice in the last year, which is crazy, but <laughs> yeah. Um, all kinds of different writers. Neruda, I love Lorca's plays, even though I think, you know, he's got some issues with uh, his view of women and. Uh, Spinsters, but I did respond to him in a poem called Splendid Spinsters of the New Millennium. Yeah, I have that in here too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to ask the impossible question just because I have some fiction students here uh -huh. and, um, and also because I love asking impossible questions, um, which is what, why do you think literature is important? Right? Mm -hmm. Or is it? I think it's very important. I think it's important, like music's important, like art, visual art is important. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, for me, it feeds my soul, you know? And it's also what has empowered me. When I went to college for the first time, I grew up in East LA, and I don't know if you're familiar with East LA, but it's predominantly an immigrant and Mexican-American community. And really, in that community, it's um, you could exist in that community without speaking English. And everybody at my school was, you know, looked like me. I mean, not exactly like me. My girlfriend was there too. <laughs> and um, so when I went to Occidental College, which is in LA, and it's really not that far from where I grew up, it was another world. I mean, Occidental College. I don't know if you know. Well, now everybody knows Occidental College because of Obama, right? Um, in the 80s, when I went there, it was, um, you know, there wasn't, it didn't reflect at all the diversity in Los Angeles. And um, it was very, very alienating, you know, for me to be the first person in my family to go to college. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know what I was doing there. I was like, what am I doing here? And I um, fell in love with literature because literature um, validated me uh, in all these different ways, my language, my experience, and I found strength in those things. And I think I became conscious and political. Um, for a long time in the classes, I think in the beginning, there were times when things came up, issues regarding race or gender, things that would upset me sometimes, things that people would say, and I didn't have like the words to talk back. Um, eventually, I was able to talk back and present a different perspective in those spaces where a voice like mine uh, at that time, and I think still today, um, was often 
uh, not heard. Um, so I think literature gave me that. And I think today, you know, literature is also, it can be, what is the saying that our words are our weapons, you know? Uh, they're also our offerings and our flowers, I think. Um, so for me, yeah, I mean, I can't see, I'm so grateful that I have words in my life and literature that does that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, um, I'm teaching writing right now, so I think writing is a process, and I think that it's hard to teach writing. It's hard to teach creative writing, um, although it's also a lot of fun, <laughs> but it is difficult. Um, I want my students to just learn to play with and grapple with language, their own language to be willing to play with different things, you know, to explore. Because I think we get into a mindset of like, it's one way of doing things. And really, um, there are so many different ways of doing it. Um, I mean, I, I have authors that I think are important for them to read and I bring them in to the class. But I think in terms of them with their language is just to really be able to um, just, Grapple, grapple with the word, grapple with the process, you know, and keep pushing towards uh, something else, you know. So, because I think college is sort of sometimes like this little nest, you know, and it's in some ways uh, you're talking about all these ideas and you're talking about race and you're talking about class, but it's a little bit, um, you know, insulated. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still. That's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, what do you want your students to go out with? Oh, I grapple with this too. Um, I, I think one of the things I hope they leave school, whether that's graduate school or, or college, is some sort of nascent community of writers that mm -hmm. maybe they have found in their classes or by going to readings. Mm -hmm. Some kindred spirits and some fellow travelers that they can stay in touch with as they leave this nest. Yeah. Because um, I feel as if, for me, even though writing is often thought of as being this very solitary practice, my own writing has been really sustained by those friendships that came out of college and came mm -hmm. out of graduate school. Um, so I always hope they find that, like kind of the seeds of a community that can continue yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's very important too. You know, and I think that made a big difference for me as a writer, having that, having key people uh, who were also writers, who were also creators in graduate school as well. Yeah. Any other questions? Well, I want to say thank you so much for um, being here, and thank you for listening uh, to my work. And it's been a pleasure to be able to share some of my work with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, and um, I have some books, if anybody's interested. I have uh, this book, which is actually a flip book, and one side of it is uh, poetry. One side of it is like short stories and then you flip it over, it's got another cover and the other side of it is poetry. So uh, if anybody's interested, I have books. I don't have any cardboard books because they take a lot of time to make and I only usually make like six at a time and I haven't had time lately. <laughs> yeah.
more about that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like where that came from, like what what, what okay. Yeah. Okay, well, the cardboard books uh, that I made, I, I made a series, uh, I'm making a series of um, 50 cardboard books, um, probably around 40 right now, so I have about 10 more to make. <laughs> and a friend of mine who is also a poet, her name is Tatiana de la Tierra, she and I decided to do this together. So we had new works, and we didn't really want to send it out and try to get it published and all that, which is important, but, you know, we wanted to do our own thing. And so we decided that we would both work together in community and, you know, edit each other's stuff and put it together in a chapbook. And um, the idea came from what are called the cartoneros of Latin America. So in Argentina, uh, you guys remember the economic crash in Argentina uh, that happened? One of the ways that people were making money at the time in Argentina was that uh, some people were going around and collecting cardboard and then selling it to get money back. Um, there were a couple of uh, men who used to do um, publishing and different things, and they had this idea, and they said, uh, they, they, they call themselves Eloisa Cartonera. Uh, they created a publishing company that, under the name of this name, they created Eloisa Cartonera. And what they did was they employed uh, the, the people who were collecting all this cardboard, and they bought the cardboard for them, for a little, like more money than they were getting on the, on the regular, you know, cardboard market. <laughs> and um, they also hired them to paint the covers and fold the covers. And what they did with authors, they got authors to submit their work and they created uh, all of these books made out of cardboard. And so they were, one, employing people who needed work. Uh, they were using recycled materials and they were getting people's uh, literary works out into the community at a relatively uh, uh, affordable price. And then in Cuba, uh, there are also cartoneros there. I don't know if anybody has ever seen the libros de, uh, de carton in Cuba, in Matanzas. They're just amazing pieces of art and work. And if you've ever been to Cuba, or if you know anything about Cuba, you know that there's been an embargo against Cuba, and things are very scarce there. So people have to be very, very creative, as, they, as we say that, you know, la necesidad es la madre de la creación. Uh, necessity is the mother of creation. So people in Cuba are very, very innovative, and they do a lot with very little materials. And so they also did... Uh, cartones, uh, libros de carton as well, for the same reasons. Um, and this is something that kind of spread throughout Latin America. And so there are lots of places in Latin America, aside from Argentina and Cuba, where people uh, put work out there, poetry or fiction, etc., cetera, uh, by using recycled cardboard. Um, so that's where the idea came from, uh, for us to do the chapbook that way. Thank you.